With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is here. And we have a simple goal for today's show. We want to break down what the F is going on with five teams league-wide. We're not totally sure what's happening with these teams. Some positively, like we're going to talk about the Knicks here, mostly because we both wanted to talk about the Knicks and the great run they're on. I feel like I haven't talked enough about that on this show over the course of the last six weeks or so. Um, They just feel entirely positive in a lot of ways. And so we're going to talk about like sustainability and everything. We're also going to talk about the Blazers, who I have no idea what to do with right now and are in the midst of, I think they've lost like eight of 10 or something like that at this point. And they're trying to find answers at this point. And the team in general needs to find answers because they have real team building questions here moving forward, given that Jeremy Grant can hit free agency after this year. So let's jump in there. Mark, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I uh, I just bought a new whiteboard, so I'm uh, I'm excited. I as I am a uh, I always get dogged for this. I am a uh, a written notes person, so like if I go to a game or something, I bring a notebook with me because um, I don't like taking notes on my phone. It just doesn't stick for me the same way. So I'm about this is gonna be my fourth whiteboard that's in my room. Um, I've been my entire week. I've been like pulling up whiteboards and looking at them on Amazon. And uh, today was the day I just broke. I caved. I bought one. I'm excited. Um, so much more room for for activities. So it's great. I think I saw that. Like, was it you? Did you text me or something that you were looking at like a 94 by 48 inch whiteboard or something? Yeah, it was 96 by 48. It was on sale yesterday. I ended up not buying. That's it like a I, wall, Mark. Yeah. Well, I ended up not buying it because I. I was short by about a foot of wall space. Um, so that was sad. I couldn't go vertical with it either. Uh, but um, yeah, so I settled for like a 48 by 32. You're a strange human. I like writing. It's like the visual stimuli. It's nice. So, um, but yeah. No, that is so much space. Even on sale, it was like multiple hundreds of dollars. So uh, for the best for my bank account, but uh, I was, dude, I saw it. It hit my my vision, and I was like, "This this might be this might be the best day of my life." And uh, it ended up not being, but it was close enough. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, so we're going to talk about the Blazers, the Knicks, the Clippers, the Pacers, and who's our fifth team? The Hawks. Yeah. And kind of dive into what's happening, team building moving forward a little bit, maybe trade deadline potential. But more importantly, just what's going on with these teams uh, today, because they are very bizarre teams across the board in many circumstances. Then we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, the mock I released as well at the end of the show. Uh, I'll tweet out when we're going to do that and, you know, you guys can come join. But Mark also released a mock draft today, so he wants to dive into all of this and the draft in general a little bit. So instead of breaking down one specific prospect at the end, like we typically do, we're just going to talk about the draft a little bit more generally uh, Mm -hmm. today. 
So, Mark, let's start with the Blazers because this this is a weird team. This is the team you requested to talk about. Like when we were trying to figure out what we wanted to talk about this week, it started with the Blazers because you just really wanted to talk about them. And I was like, okay, like let's do the like, you know, what the fuck is going on with them teams, right? And the Blazers kind of stand out to me in that regard. So I'll just give you the floor. I know you were super excited about talking about the Blazers, and I just want to allow you that space to do so. Well, first of all, I appreciate it. I also I badgered a friend of mine, Mike Richmond, and uh, letting me on Lockdown Blazers to do the same because uh, I just have so many thoughts about this team. Like like we talked about last week, um, I think Dame's been legit All-NBA worthy this year, um, even yeah. when he's fought through injury. I think there have been times where um, he's been a little bit deferential because you can tell that he's been bothered at points, but now – um, you know, he's still out right now. I think he's coming back in a day or two, hopefully. But um, point being, this team is uh, – it's odd to talk about a 19-21 and 21 team and say that I feel, like, somewhat optimistic about them, not necessarily in, like, title contention status or anything like that. Um, but they're just fascinating to look at because I didn't – this is one of the few teams that I felt like I couldn't really peg down what they were headed into the year um, because I didn't know what Dame was going to look like. Coming off of the, uh, the abdominal injury last year um, – I wasn't sure what he would look like this season. Uh, I thought maybe he was a, a, a real regression candidate, getting older, coming off an injury. That has been the opposite. Um, and he's done a ton of heavy lifting for them. And what's been fun too, like there are a ton of uh, enticing things going on with the roster. Like I think Anthony Simons has taken, uh, maybe not taken a step, but I think you're continuing to see his growth and evolution and as the secondary shot maker and scorer alongside Dame. Um, yep which considering like it feels like it was for a long period last year, but that really only happened on his own for about 20 games. So seeing that in a continued stretch has been nice to see. Um, but then outside that, I think, well, okay. To Jeremy Grant's played like a borderline all-star this year. I still, there yes. really hasn't been any dip from him. He's been fantastic as a shooter. The face up and, and, and post stuff has been legit. I think his defense hasn't been all defensive, but it's still been pretty good. Um, and, there's just so much to dive into with this team because I think I uh, a, friend, a mutual friend of ours, Nikias Duncan, wrote a really great article recently, I think just after Christmas, about how Dame is being used uh, as this fantastic off-ball scoring threat. Um, mm-hmm. And while that's been the case and it's been awesome to see, I actually think that they don't lean into Dame enough, um, which is odd. Um, but it's also Especially- part of their roster. Yeah, like the interesting thing is like they're not leaning into Dame as much in this season of heliocentric superstar like performances, right? Like it feels like Dame for the fact that he's averaging 27 points a game and has been absolutely terrific. It feels like he hasn't had that big explosion. Like he had 41 in two out of the first three games this season and i think he has one other 40 point game against denver in a game they lost by one back in december but like we haven't had that like that enormous damian lillard game it feels like yet and you know he's been the guy that's like almost been synonymous with that over the course of the last six or seven years it feels like or at least a guy that's been synonymous with that so for him not to have that yet in this season of you know Donovan Mitchell going for 71 and Luka Doncic breaking the scale and, you know, Nikola Jokic going even further than breaking the scale. And, you know, Kevin Durant going nuts just across the board. We've had so many, so many great games. 
it's weird that he hasn't had one. And I do think that it goes back to exactly what you're saying in terms of they are playing him a little bit more off the ball, whereas these guys that have been going off have been a little bit more empowered on the ball, maybe is the way to put it. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, it's kind of a difficult balance there because I think on one hand, like I was just thinking about this the other day and I was like, oh, I wish that they'd really lean into more of him doing pick and roll. And I was like, well, why don't why don't they? And I think a part of it is um, they really need to get the most out of Nurk by using him as a high post uh, facilitator and, and, a, and a DHO guy. So I think we've seen less yeah. of that. But also, I think it's difficult because they've had to use more multiple handlers and um, getting more creative with the offense. And even though it feels like it's for the worst, and I think sometimes it is, how would you rate this as a shooting team? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, look, they're shooting the shit out of it this year. Just, you know, Anthony Simon's shooting 38. Jeremy Grant's shooting 42. Damian Lillard is like just an unconscious shooter. But other than those guys, they don't really have anyone else. Like Yusuf Nurkic is like a, you know, an occasional shooter, I guess, who makes them, but doesn't shoot at enough volume. Uh, Josh Hart doesn't really take them. I guess Shaden Sharp like kind of takes them sometimes, but it feels like teams are like fairly comfortable to let that happen. Right. Yeah. Uh, like, like if he's the one shooting, all due respect to Shaden Sharp, I, I think that teams are like, okay, this is probably a win for us on this possession. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's in a tough spot because, like you just mentioned, like, okay, so Ant and, and Dame are combining for 21 threes a night. That's a lot. They shoot the ball incredibly yeah. well. It's entirely like so much of it is pull up shooting and stuff off movement, too. Um, Jeremy Grant has been electric as a shooter this season. But then you pull outside that, okay, Josh Hart is taking two threes a game below average. And even like recently, like he's just not even shooting them. He's passing up wide open stuff. He's not getting closed out to. Um, And you go up and down the roster and all of their wings are just guys who are pretty hesitant shooters or guys who are not going to get closed out to. And part of the issue too with Shaden right now, and not even an issue, like he's a rookie, stuff I want to see improve. He really likes to do one or two dribble sidesteps or get into a 20-foot pull-up instead of attack. Like, I, I clipped this the other day, but he's he'll get a wide-open look, and his shot prep isn't there yet. He likes – he's just more comfortable getting into, you know, going straight up with some – I mean, going yeah, – being able and, to isolate a little bit. And that's um, something I talked about earlier this week on Twitter. Like, I think Magic fans are frustrated that Cole Anthony hasn't yet taken a jump as a catch-and-shoot guy, you know – Cole Anthony is a player that even in the NBA to this point has had the ball in his hands throughout his entire career. And then you go back to North Carolina, you go back to his high school tape, particularly he never had to catch and shoot, right? It's not his natural inclination to just catch and fire and like be ready to catch and fire off the just hop. Right. Yeah. It takes more time for these guys that have had, that kind of development throughout the course of their careers to learn those catch and shoot footworks mechanics, you know, even just like the tendencies to break the tendencies, I think when your first instinct is to drive then what I think people give it credit for, Mm -hmm. like everyone just thinks, Oh, if you can shoot pull-ups, you can probably shoot off the catch. Honestly, I think that's probably true that you can learn it, but I don't think necessarily that it's the quickest thing to develop necessarily. Yeah, no, I would agree with that entirely. Um, 
And I think it's just going to take time. Like, I think Shaden's going to be great with that in a couple of years. But right now, like, I think that can be a hindrance to their offense. Um, and that's the biggest, again, not, not problem slash issue, but like just watching the Blazers play, they get a ton of gravity out of what Dame and Anthony are doing off the ball. But the yeah. second you remove Jeremy Grant from the equation or you remove just one of them from the equation, their lineups really crater offensively. And that bears out in watching and also um, just going through lineup data. Um, like, it, I mean, it's just, just think about it. Okay. If you have Jeremy Grant on the bench and you have uh, Dame Simons, uh, Nurk, Josh Hart, and like, even if you have Sharp out there, okay, Sharp is not getting hard closeouts right now for the most part. Josh Hart's being completely sagged off. Nurk, most of the time, guys aren't even coming up to meet him at the at the at the level. It just depends where it's it, at with that. That's the guy we need to talk about. I think. Well, yeah, at some point we're going to talk about him in a yeah. sec. But like, point being, like, okay, teams are have been comfortable and have routinely just been loading up with guys having one foot in the paint on the entire weak side because of what the off ball uh, spacing situation can be for them. Uh, so that makes it difficult. And especially too, like they have a lot of guys who are quality secondary playmakers, but without the shooting, it's a lot harder to get it more out of it. Um, so I think this can, this can go into talking about Nurk now. Um, I guess, how would you rate Nurk season? Uh, bad. Yeah. No, I think no, so he's in a hard spot. <laughs> like, I don't think that Nurk is a bad player, but I think for what the Blazers need and what they what yeah. Chauncey Phillips likes to do, what this roster is gearing towards. Um, Nurk is not a good fit. Like I really I think that's where I'm at. Yeah. Yep. Like I really like the leaning into what they've done uh, with trying to uh, with, with with running game off screens more and just being a more um, like a, a, a high post oriented offense. But also at the same time, I genuinely question if they do that if they didn't, didn't have nerd which like yeah of course like if you have a different player you're going to in, incorporate different skill sets but um i think that this team would just be so much better uh or more dynamic offensively and better spaced if they were able to just be a more dynamic pick and roll team because nurk even though like you can look at all the shooting splits like it looks good but he's still not finishing that well at the rim uh the yeah. actual pick and roll impact isn't huge from him um i think like obviously the Again, the the short roll stuff can be good, but I don't think it's anything incredibly amazing from him. Um, And more so, too, like they've been more willing to camp him out above the three-point line than have him roam near the dunker spot. And I do wonder if that's something that maybe they start to change up. But, um, like, again, like it's nice that he's shooting 40% on twos, but the problem is, okay, the defense doesn't care. Like, it's great if the shot falls – um, but it's not on super high volume uh, outside of a couple of outlier games. And if the shot, like, again, it's just, it's a process thing. And I think overall you look, this isn't making a huge impact on the offense. Um, and I, I mean, the defense too is where it's hard because like I was, I was thinking about this yesterday and I like, they love to run multiple coverages. Part of that is, you know, the roster that they have, like they have a ton of guys with who are, who are quick and, um, they are honestly pretty small now with, with Nasir Little and, and Justice Winslow both out still. And that's definitely hurt them on the defensive end. Um, particularly like watching the Portland game, like they got pretty bodied by what our Orlando could do um, just by the sheer volume of size that they had on the court. Um, but I think I look at this and it's tough because I don't like Nurk is okay if you put him in a deep drop, but he's not a very good rim protector. Um, right. 
I don't think his help, like he can have okay help instincts, but he just has such little lift, particularly off his back foot. So that inherently limits a ton of what he can do as a rim protector. They'll play him close to the level. Um, they'll try and hedge and recover with him sometimes. I think that there's like some value in him being big and, and okay mobility wise compared to other guys who are 6'11. But for what the actual return is, I think that it generally just tends to be more of we have to play this way because we have use of Nurkish rather than we're playing this way um, because this makes us better. Um, and I think that's just it to me, if there's going to be a significant improvement on this roster, I do think it comes through moving off of Nurk and not even necessarily getting a better center, but getting somebody who gives you a more direct path or something that's more, um, more streamlined uh, per se, um, or easier to incorporate into what they're doing. I'm glad you bring up the idea of streamlined, right? So overall this year, the Blazers are a plus six when Damien Lillard is on the court. When Lillard is on the court with Nurkic, they're only a plus one. When Yusuf Nurkic is off and Damian Lillard is on, they're a plus 8.3, which is like a terrific basketball team. And then when it's Drew Eubanks and Damian Lillard on the court, they're actually a plus 10.3 in 360 minutes so far this season, which says to me, that it's not necessarily about it's not necessarily about Drew Eubanks being like, you know, some incredible center, although I think he's absolutely proven himself as like being a genuine NBA player, really mm. effective backup center. It's more, I think, that what happens when Eubanks is out there is just simpler stuff that allows the other Blazers out there to just not have Nurkic kind of taking up space and like having to be involved in the offense as much. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think like just bringing a real lob threat is huge too. Um, yeah. Like, especially for a, a, a more dynamic pick and roll game. I think that's fantastic. Like I, I like, like you, you mentioned, I think that he has some warts defensively. Like he's really solid yeah. at being the, the hedge and recover guy that they like. He's not a great drop defender. Um, yeah. do, but again, do you like, know like what they're averaging uh, in terms of like points per 100 possessions when Drew Eubanks is out on the court? I do not. 126.2 per 100 nice. possessions, which says exactly what you're saying. Like Eubanks has that weird, like short roll game and like the, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Floater push shot kind of deal that he throws up. Mm-hmm. But then he's like a lob threat going toward the basket. Like there is just a lot there that he does that Nurkic doesn't do that. I think is a better fit with this team. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's not even that we're saying that he needs to like, you know, move Nurk so that Drew Eubanks can start. It's more like get somebody who's a similar idea so you can make what you're doing a little bit more like that, more replicable, more um, just more con- continuity through what you're doing. Um, and like, to be fair, like they try and run some of the high post stuff through Drew Eubanks and it can be hit or miss for me. Um, but so, so can, can I bring up what my idea is? Then? Yeah. I think this is the team that, should try to convince the Spurs to part with the Occam Pertle. Like, I, I think he would help them quite substantially more so than other players. Like he's a terrific, terrific screener to get shooters like Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard free. He is a smart short roller that has that same little push shot. That Eubanks does. He's a way better defender than Eubanks just kind of across the board. Like it, 
I think that it would allow real continuity going from Pirtle to Eubanks, you know, starter to bench units. And on top of that, he does provide just more of a threat as a roller at the end of the day, going all the way toward the rim. And it's just simpler. He's not going to have the ball in his hands as much. It's going to allow Dame, Simons, Jeremy Grant to rock a little bit more. Yeah, I could be open to that. I think alongside that too, like they've, I mean, the other thing is like just adding um, more shooting alongside what they have, like injecting that into the rotation with their, and it doesn't even have to be like good shooting. Like I think literally if you have guys who can spot up and lift, like I think that's really all that they need to add in their off ball players right now um, because they can just be that lacking that sometimes. Um, But I agree. I I still am curious to see how willing the Spurs would be to part from Pirtle, but what's so tough with this Portland team and why I want to talk about them because um Part of the reason I didn't have expectations is like we mentioned, like I didn't expect Dame to be this good when you have a guy who is playing this well. And like, yes, they're 19 and 21, but they're also like three and a half, four games out of being a um, a lock for the playoffs. Like the West has been a shit show down from the five seed to the 12 seed right now. Um, and that's yeah. not that teams are bad. It's just like, it, you know, they're kind of going through it right now. And I think what's interesting with them, and this is not to be like completely derived with pessimism, but I mean, the team is shooting – I think Dame and Anthony are both shooting 30% from three since Christmas. Like, that's going to change. The overall shooting of the team is going to just swing back because um, that's how it works. You know, it's not always going to be them shooting the worst that anybody has in, in the history of the league. Like, it's going, to, it's going to change. Like, I'm not saying they're going to shoot 45% from deep next, but the offense will revert a little bit. So, I think, like, again, like, I am pretty comfortable saying this is a, an above 500 basketball team at the end of the day. And when you have a guy like Dame who is playing as well as he is, we always have the conversation about Dame. I feel like this is the first, the the latest we've ever gone into a year without a, a Chris Haynes article dropping about Dame's status in Portland. Um, and I just am curious to see what they do and how they approach that because um, it felt like this was more of a rebuild in the offseason. And now I think, again, not, not, not that it's the same as the Pacers, um, it's definitely different, but like in terms of a, okay, well, there are a couple directions this can go. And I think the trade deadline is going to be really important for them figuring that out. Yeah, I agree. I'm like trying to come up with constructions to get the Blazers, you know, Jakob Pertl, and then maybe like they take on the Doug McDermott contract or something to like, you know, try and reduce Especially what, what they're trying doing. to run. Like I would like Doug there, like Doug's good. I would too. I completely agree with you. It's it's hard for me to find the numbers that totally work, but I think that there's probably an avenue to do so. It would have to be like Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, Yusuf Nurkic for like Pirtle and McDermott, and then a, well, obviously a first round pick or something like that. Like you have mm-hmm. to, it might even cost more than that to be honest um, to get Pirtle out of San Antonio, but if it's more than that, like the Blazers should be out at that point. So it's complicated, but I do think that they are very incentivized to try and get a center like Jakob Pertl at the very least that could be a roller, have some dexterity with the ball, everything like that. Um, We'll see where that goes. Yeah. And it's tough too because they just, they just paid Nurkic in the off season. I think it was four for 72. Um, Yeah. Which not that's not saying that they can't move on from him, but that does make it a little bit different. So I'm interested to see what they do. Yeah. And frankly, like I'm curious to see how negative that contract is. 
league wide. Like that that actually could be like a fairly negatively valued asset yeah. league wide. Um to where teams don't want to take that money on. So okay. Let's take a quick commercial break and we will be back with more. Okay, Mark, we're back. Which of these teams do you want to go to next? I'll just ask you. Uh, it's a good question. So I think we can more rapid fire some of these ones. Let's talk about, do you want to talk about Indiana really quick? Yeah, let's do the Pacers because uh, they're actually a bit in the news right now. Yeah. Yeah. Sham Sharania just posted that, I mean, posted, geez, uh, tweeted that uh, Tyrese Halliburton is out uh, with, I believe it was a bone bruise on his knee and will be reevaluated in two weeks. Has has a left elbow sprain and mild I left knee bone agree. bruise. Wow. So um, yeah, uh, just just bruise across his left side of body. <laughs> um, how long he's out for is incredibly important for the Pacers' direction here. I will be if they lose like the next six games or so, it probably pushes them substantially down the board here. And they will have to make some very real difficult decisions moving forward on how to attack the deadline. Yeah. Um, it definitely throws a wrench. I mean, they're 23 and 19 right now. They're seventh in the East. Um, that's a surprise to everybody. The Knicks just uh, passed them last night. Uh, they're same record, but because they, I think they're two to one in the head to head that pushes them ahead. Um, so yeah, they're in a, they continue to be really interesting to me. And it feels like, um, like nothing has directly come out, but just based on like every murmuring that is is mentioned about the Pacers, um, it just leads me to believe that they are a lot more aligned with the idea of going to the playoffs this year than they were before the season. And I yeah. think I've uh, I've teetered on that on like how to feel about it. I think I've gotten a lot more warmed up to it in their more recent stretch. Like everything since Christmas has been like really good. Um, like yeah. I think that you could poke some holes in their resume before then, but now um, I think you can just comfortably say this is a good basketball team. I mean, you probably could have said it earlier. It just took me a little bit longer to get there. Um, yep. But exactly like you mentioned, I mean, Tyrese has been their best player this year. Um, hands down. He's been incredibly important for what they do, especially on offense. I don't know what that's going to look like with them trying to uh, do a lot of stuff that they, they that they do without him. But also, I mean, Andrew Nembhard has been awesome this year and really, impressed as a rookie so i'm excited to see what he does you know getting a lot more handling opportunities um but exactly like you're mentioning i think if they go on a a skid over these next two weeks especially leading up to the trade deadline it does bring up a little bit more because miami's right on their heels for the a seed um and then when you start talking about this team being a play-in team instead of like you know when they were the fifth seed and looking more like okay this is when you're talking about a team being a lock for the playoffs compared to you have to fight your way in. I think that there is a little bit of a difference with that. Um, I mean, I'm trying to pull up their upcoming schedule now, but yeah, I, they're, where are you at with this team? Yeah. So, so their upcoming schedule is on Friday, they have Atlanta, they have Memphis on Saturday, then they go on a four game road trip, Milwaukee, Oklahoma city, Denver, Phoenix, uh, depending on if Devin Booker will be back by January 21st. I don't think that he will be Willie. 
doesn't seem uh, like that'll be the yeah. case. Um, you know, there are a couple winnable games there with Phoenix and Oklahoma City, although Oklahoma City is frisky and, you know, pretty good at home. Uh, Memphis is obviously quite good. And Atlanta is weird. And we're going to talk about Atlanta here momentarily. Uh, then on January 24th, they play Chicago. And then January 25th, they play Orlando on the second night of back to back out on the road. And then they travel back home to play Milwaukee for a third game in four nights. And that, that takes you through two weeks, basically when Halliburton is going to be reevaluated. Now reevaluated does not mean that he'll be back in two weeks. Yeah. which is really critical here uh, because the schedule then becomes at Memphis home against the Lakers home against the Kings home against the Cavs at Miami home against the Phoenix. that probably will have Devin Booker by that point on the road against Washington home against Utah home against Chicago. That takes us a month out. So the schedule isn't, it's not terrible. It's not ideal, though. I would say it's certainly going to be one of like might be like somewhere between the tenth and fifteenth hardest schedule during that time. It's not an easy run. It's not a like you know a bear of a run necessarily, but how they perform leading up to the trade deadline is going to really make some decisions for them. And that is why they are now like purely a what the fuck do we do here team. Like before, I honestly think it was like, wait, how, how is this team good, basically, before? Like, what are they doing that makes them good? And it was just unselfishness, offense, running really crisp offense, getting great ball movement, um, figuring out answers defensively by the time Miles Turner came back. Like, th- there were answers, but now, man, it, it throws it for a wrench, especially if they think that, Tyrese Halliburton might be out beyond that two week period. Yeah. And on the other hand too, like, I mean, he could end up only being out for like, maybe he comes back early and, you know, just kind of blows us away. But uh, yeah, it's especially too, when you're talking about um, like, there really hasn't been anything reported on Buddy Heald and his availability, which makes me think that there's a lot more potential with that happening. Everything that's come out with Miles Turner um, continues to be, there's interest in renegotiation. Um, and I believe, if I remember correctly, Jake Fisher from Bleacher Report earlier this week had reported that um, contract negotiations hadn't gone through yet. Like they, I think Miles and his camp were looking for something higher. And that's not to say that they were turning things down. But point being, like they're hitting the point where it's like, okay, either you have to have him resigned or you're trading him because I don't think that you can afford to take this into the offseason. Um, I think that would a just be bad management. Um, and B, like, I'm just kind of tired of this playing out. It's happened every year, make a decision finally. Um, and it's in a weird spot because, like, exactly like you mentioned, like, if this is a team that really views Miles as part of the future and he's played really damn well, he's been – I mean, he's been their second-best player. At times, he's, like, even overlapped Tyrese for what he's needed to do defensively. Like, you can look at this team and be like, okay, well, the outside of adjusted defensive rating, they're 19th right now. Um, and that is mostly on the back of what Miles is doing. Um, like, this – this overall defense by the team is pretty lackluster. There's a lot to, to to be desired, and they don't have a lot of size. They don't have a lot of guys that I would call great one-on-one de- or individual defenders. Off-ball defense is problematic. Um, they really just kind of staple things together because Miles has been fantastic on the back end. Um, that's not to take away from others, but point being, like he's he's been that good. Um, 
So I think it's just it's hitting a really interesting zone of what happens here. And I I think what is important for uh, people who maybe haven't watched Indiana as much to realize is like if you trade Miles, like that's a full tank move. Like that's not oh, this just thing a, falls apart yeah. very quickly if they trade yeah. Miles. Were you the, the the drop off from Miles to to Jalen Smith starting at the five or Isaiah Jackson starting at the five is is immense. Uh, like that's neither of them are are even close to that level defensively. Neither of them are bringing quite the same thing where he's at offensively. Um, there would be a pretty steep fall off. So I think that would uh, that would be a pretty big indicator of where they're at and feeling. Um, like even if you go right now, I think they would only be their draft pick would be twentieth right now, um, which is uh, it's the kind of thing where again, like I think that they do need to think about it because this year, when we're talking about what they can be in the future, like all indications all indications have been from them that they want to be. Like they don't just want to be an easy out, a one, a, a quote unquote tough out team. They really want to be a contender in the next two to three years, really build towards that. And I think if they want to get there, they do have to prioritize their own draft pick. And part of that can come through, like they have the Cavs pick um, and Boston pick. I I don't anticipate either of those falling through this season, because um, the cat. I mean, the Cavs are pretty locked into what they're doing, uh, unless a yeah. massive injury hits. But point being, like I think those are those are hitting. They have the ability to be really flexible and try and move up in the draft if they want to be aggressive here. Um, and I, again, I think that's something they should look at. Um, and maybe there's stuff that pops up at the deadline that makes them more open to move. Point being, I think this team needs to be focused on making home runs. Like they are not here to hit a single or a double at the trade deadline. They're not here to hit a single or, or double with the draft. Like they really need to be locked in and well, focused on doing what is going. Well, I'm not. I'm not trying to like overemphasizes but i do think like well no i I think you're right to overemphasize it this has been the singles and doubles team for a decade now outside of paul george being there right like i guess you could say like victor oladipo was not a single or a double but they had to move paul george like yeah it's you know it's complicated i think by a number of different factors here so if i'm them you know they're five games right now out of the number six spot in the draft basically if Tyrese Halliburton is going to be out three or four weeks as opposed to two weeks and this is something I'm sure that they have more of a feel for internally than what the public information is going to be given that they're reevaluating him in two weeks as opposed to you know him just being out two weeks they need to make like some pretty real decisions here about the future of the franchise and maybe that is renegotiating and extending miles Turner and giving him like a $20 million balloon payment or something this year. And then negotiating a contract extension that gets a little bit more team friendly moving forward. I talked about the mechanics about like on a miles Turner extension last episode with Danny LaRue, when we broke down the trade deadline kind of lay of the land Turner is one of the best assets that any team at the deadline can acquire though. And if they find that they offer Miles Turner like a large amount of money and he is still not willing to take it, they need to be willing to make a move here. Because as good as Miles Turner is, you can't lose him for nothing, I don't think. I would rather keep him if I was the Pacers, but you can't lose him for nothing and run that risk moving forward. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think on the keeping him thing, um, especially with how well he's fit, um, I would be open to that. Like, I think that it's just like, again, like I need it to 
just make a decision. I'm tired of getting dragged out. I get why it gets dragged out, but it's just um, like I, I, I get frustrated sometimes because I feel like there are there's not as much understanding about like Miles's frustrations with the organization. Like I kind of get it. Like he's yeah. every single year he's been here, he's been in, in in trade demands, and I think he's played well enough at this point to say, okay, either you're fully bought into what he's going to be with the team, or you move him because. I just don't want to hear him in trailers, can be frank. But um Yeah. Yeah. Um but exactly like you mentioned, like he's played like a fringe all-star this year. I think if the team defense was better, and again, that's not on him, he would be getting more more love for all defense. I still don't know that he'd be quite there for me, but again, like I think that skews when you're when you're on a team that's worse defensively and you have to cover up as much. Um yep. but yeah, exactly like you're hitting on. I'm 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 there with you. Yeah, look, if you're keeping Miles Turner, I think that it's worth continuing to go for it. If you find that he's not willing to resign, then you need to prioritize the draft pick at the end of the day, given that Halliburton is out now for at least a couple of weeks, and we'll see where it goes from there. I don't know, man. This could get this gets very interesting in a hurry now. This is a weird, you know, what do we do now situation. And so much is going to depend on like what they look like in these next six games where they play like Atlanta is a really good gauge on Friday night. I think at Oklahoma city is a really good gauge next Wednesday. I think Uh, honestly, like, you know, at, you know, at Milwaukee, maybe at Denver, those games without Tyrese Halliburton, they can't win a seven game series against those kinds of teams. So I don't know how good those gauges are, but trying to, you know, compare yourself against the teams that you're theoretically in a tier with what happens when we lose our best player, how competitive are we in those circumstances? I do think that it's worth kind of diving in and trying to figure out what that looks like. Okay. The next team that I want to talk about the New York Knicks. I love the Knicks, man. Yes. Yeah. They're fun. I got to be man. real with you. This Is this the most fun team, purely fun, outside of like the Derrick Rose, Joachim Noah prime Chicago Bulls team that was like a one seed, basically? Is this the most fun Tom Thibodeau coach team that you can remember? Uh, I think I would probably struggle with that one just based on the early season and those vibes. Um. But like of late, yeah. I mean, it's so weird too because there's so they had the eight game winning streak after getting absolutely blown out by Dallas, having that terrible stretch. It felt like any day Tibbs was going to get get fired, and then they got absolutely lucky with. Um, I believe Jokic was out for Denver. Um, Utah was kind of off the night that they played. Um, I like I just like that. And then it just ends up they, – they have the turnaround. Quentin Grimes comes back, or I should say, gets uh, uh, gets reinserted to the starting lineup, playing more minutes. Uh, he cuts down the rotation. They go on that eight-game winning streak. Then they follow that up with a five-game losing streak with some absolutely baffling losses in there. Part of it was just late-game stuff that really bit them. They struggled a little bit with how many minutes they were playing because they had one or two guys out of the rotation – um, so they had to bump minutes more, but also Tibbs doesn't bump minutes more. He just plays guys 40 minutes. Um, so like that Dallas game, they they had a significant lead and then they end up losing in the fourth quarter because guys are t- – I mean, losing in overtime because they're totally gassed. 
Oh, I mean, also, let's be clear that that was the Doncic sixty twenty. Oh yeah, yeah. Like Luca was amazing. Like, like point yeah. being, like Luca's Luca's amazing. But that was, uh, I mean, that's still a game where I look at him like, okay, part of that's difficult. But um, I, I mean, the Jalen Brunson has been awesome. That they lost yeah. to Milwaukee. Let's start with him. But, yeah. but what he did against Milwaukee was sensational. Um, I mean, he's up now. He's he was shooting poorly. To start the year, he's up to 39% from deep now in four and a half attempts per game. Um, averaging 22, 22 points, six assists. Um, the defense is still – I mean, that's going to be a problem for him. He has not been a good defender really for any stretch this year. But um, <laughs> what he's brought to them as a, as a live dribble creator who can get into the paint at will has been massive. And you see their offense really take a hit when he's off the court. I mean, he's been so important for what they're doing. And if they – continue on this trend i think that there's i wouldn't be shocked if he makes the all-star team um especially like considering fan votes where he would end up over julius right now not that the fans vote should matter as much but um and i mean well, that's time and, yeah. and it's by the way it's opening up now with halliburton being out yeah yeah so that actually really helps him potentially make the all-star team so over jalen brunson's last 26 games so that that's the stretch after the win at Utah, after the win at Denver, uh, those single-digit wins where Brunson had like 25 and 8, 21 and 7. Over his last 26 games, Jalen Brunson's averaging 23 points, three rebounds, six assists, shooting 46% from the field, 43% from three, 84% from the line, while getting to the line five times per game. That's been the big adjustment, I think, with Brunson having the ball in his hands more. He's getting to the foul line way, way more and getting easy buckets. I, I think that's actually like th- – that has upped his points per game number probably by two, two and a half points alone this year, just getting to the line more and being able to attack more uh, capably in that way. Yeah, no, for sure. I totally agree with that. Uh, and. What is so tough about this team, and I'm not meaning this as a as a slight. Like I wrote this uh, when I wrote about Quentin Grimes. I think it was t- a week or two weeks ago. Because um, again, like it feels weird talking about a guy who's averaging 11, three and two as like this game changing player, but he has been for them. Um, like he is one of the few guards who I think is um, always going to have his name as long as like injuries and stuff don't happen. Always going to have his name in the mix for all defense. Like his. Defense is that good. Off ball, on the ball. He is such a good screen navigator. He mirrors guys about as well as you can. Um, really good reactivity, hand speed, everything. Like he has the full package. So that changes their defense automatically because they, well, Mitch Robb has been like really good as a rim protector for them. And when their rotations yep. are on point, they can they can cover things up. But they had a lot of struggles getting stops at the point of attack without Quentin. That's yes. changed up. The defense has been fantastic over the last one. Well, um, and and let me let me piggyback off of that having Grimes around to take on those tough defensive assignments has been able to shift RJ Barrett away from that which has been super super valuable because RJ was not having a great season having to guard the best players on the opposing teams yeah he's been much better guarding the second best perimeter player on opposing teams it actually gives him a little bit more energy I feel like offensively as well to be able to not have that assignment defensively and not have to expend that energy defensively the other guy that i think has actually taken a bit of a leap defensively this year is emmanuel quickly yeah he's been amazing like he's been their 
I other than Grimes, he's been their best perimeter defender this year, and that's not a which knock. is like, he's been really good, which is a bit surprising. I think he has great length, but like coming in, he was never all that quick necessarily. He was never uh, a guy who I thought like was super high level on that end at Kentucky. More than anything, he guarded up the lineup because he had that length. I thought when he guarded guards, he was not awesome necessarily defensively. But over the course of the last couple of years, particularly now over the course of this season, he's gotten so much better at guarding at the point of attack. He is really, really good defensively now. And that's why, look, I understand the fact that there's a real question about whether or not you want to pay Emmanuel quickly or whether or not you want to continue to open the cap sheet moving forward. Right. Uh, given that you're in a big market, given that you're the, the New York Knicks and you're playing this incredibly fun brand of basketball right now, that should be an attractive place to play for free agents. So I do understand what, why they would be tentative and why they would consider potential trade avenues for Emmanuel quickly. I think yeah. he'd be a big mm-hmm. loss for them. Yeah. Like, I, I, think I really think he'd yeah, be an enormous loss for them. Yeah, he hasn't – I mean, he he had that starting stretch uh, about a week ago. He went return to the bench last night. But um, he's been one of their four best players this entire year, without a question. Like, even with some of the offensive issues, like what he brings to them as a facilitator and what he's done defensively has been pretty irreplaceable. Um, but I think, like, exactly like you're mentioning, it's tough because th- – and this is – I'm not reporting anything. My assumption is that the, the trade rumor stuff came from his camp. Like, I – I'm pretty sure he's unhappy in not getting the opportunities to really be a full-time starter. Um, I think that he's at the point where like, I, I legitimately would say that he's close to having earned that. Like, you know, do not aggregate this. Mark is not reporting this. As I said, I'm not reporting like, um, but I mean, that's, that's, I feel like that's pretty, that's pretty easy to decipher. Um, Like he's a good player. It's just, there isn't going to be upward mobility right now with, with Brunson and Grimes, like that's pretty set in stone. You can't, you can't get up over that. Um, so I am interested to see what happens with that because we keep seeing like, even again, like, like I mentioned, I, like we're still seeing trade trade rumors come out about quickly and, and other teams calling on him. So um, I'm interested to see what happens, but like you mentioned, he's been so important. And what's tough for me with the Knicks um, again, I, I, I got away from this. Can, early, we, but... can we finish up on quickly real quick? Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Move to the Knicks generally. Um, you mentioned that little stretch where he's been starting here and there, right? So over the course of Quickly's last 12 games, he's played 35 minutes a night. He's averaged 18 points, four rebounds, four assists, only one turnover per game in that time. He's turned the ball over 13 times in those 12 games, which is bonkers for a guy who has the ball in his hands as much as he's been having the ball in his hands. Uh, shooting 46% from the field, 37% from three, 85% from the line while playing really good defense. Like, you can understand why Dallas keeps coming up as an idea for Emmanuel quickly. It's hard to imagine someone be a better, you know, replacement for Jalen Brunson than that right there in terms of what he's bringing to the table. If they want to move him, I understand the concept behind why you would want to move him. They need to be prepared for a big drop off if they do. Uh, yeah. I I don't. 
I've long been a little bit lower on Emmanuel quickly than most people have been. Yeah. I think you and I have definitely been, we've we've been in odds on him before. Um, But we we need to just acknowledge he's been really great this year. He's like, I, I thought he was even a little bit overrated as a rookie. Like, I think he's actually pretty underrated now yeah. with what he's doing. Well, exactly. I mean, kind of like you're mentioning, when I look at – when I hear him to, to to Dallas, I'm like, for what? Like, what am I trading him to Dallas for? Like, yeah. you're, you're sending me back a – like, I mean, even – like, I love Dorian Finney-Smith, but I don't think that I make that move. Like, does that move the needle really? Like, is that cha- – and even for, for Dallas too, like, I don't – Dorian hasn't hit the same this year, but they kind of need him for what they do. Um, yeah. So that's just, you know, random throwout. Uh, but it'd well, have to be like the Knicks really like Josh Green and something. Well, like Josh Green in a pick or something like that. We, so that's exactly what I want to get into. Because like you're, like you're mentioning, part of what makes Emmanuel so good for this team, and same thing with Quentin, they move without the ball. Like they really yep. – they, they can flow without being part of a play um, – I think that's why Grimes is so important because he's a movement shooter, but he's a movement shooter who doesn't necessarily need movement sets run for him um, because Tom Thibodeau does not run movement shooting sets. He does not run looks to open up three pointers. It's all off driving kick. It's all off draw two. that's something that he has not changed. He's not going to change. I think we can pretty concretely say that now the man is like 70 years old. It's not going to change. Um, so that's where I worry about adding guys who are, um, who who need to have things run for them specifically that maybe don't necessarily fit in with this. Like, I think that they really need players who can play with some randomness, who can be able to play within a broken play. Um, so that's why I always have some hesitancy with like, okay, if you bring in a guy like Cam Reddish, that's not his game. Like, that's not what he can do. And I think like, obviously there's a disconnect between what Cam really can do and what fans <laughs> that he can do. But um, yeah. just in fairness, like that was, a, I mean, that set him up to be rough. Uh, and yeah. Like, so exactly. Like, I think there, it just adds in like another mode of like, you need to be really concerned about what you're getting out of this and, and what they want to do. Cause this is a like, this has the making of a good team. Um, but I think that there are still things that they need to figure out. Like, I think making a move for at, at the backup center position would be good for them. More, maybe even that's just moving Isaiah Hardenstein so they can play Jericho Sims more. And that's part of it is frustrating to me because I think like, Tom's scheme has really limited what Isaiah Hardenstein does. Like they yeah, don't, they don't play yeah. to his strengths at all. So he, to, to be fair, he has not had a good season. But like, I mean, I don't know what you expect. I think that's what's frustrating about the team at times. Like, and I, I don't mean to be a, like unhappy about a twenty-three and nineteen team. I think it's more so. I just look at this team and like they could be a little bit more. And I, I do that. That just wears on me a little bit, but. Uh, I am I'm ecstatic about this 23 and 19 team. Oh, so yeah. you can you can even out my You know what we uh, didn't even say? My RJ Barrett has been fantastic of late when he's been healthy. Yep. Um he, he got really that little like, off the year cut rough. on his finger or whatever, but yeah, since yeah. you know, what? Since Oh man, it feels like again like right around that time, maybe a little bit after that Utah Denver game, like it feels like he's been great too. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up the stats right now cuz from from the Here, Dallas game. Them. Oh yeah. yeah. It, it, it's from from November 21st over his last 19 games. He's averaged 22 6 and 3, 45% from the field, 40% from 3. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's phenomenal. That's that's like really really good production uh, at the end of the day. Um the other guy we haven't we haven't even mentioned this guy's name yet is Julius Randle. 
Uh, you, you said that I, I do think that I would say Brunson should be their all-star over Julius Randle, if only because I think that Julius's start to the season was yeah, no, that's fair. as immensely frustrating as it was. Uh, Julius Randle is also averaging 27, 12, and 4 over his last 22 games. Yeah. <laughs> Julius Randle has been incredible. He's yeah. been amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, the his his shot number got dragged down by what happened in the Milwaukee game, uh, which I think got clowned way too much. Uh, I would have probably told him to not shoot nine threes if you're missing all of them, but uh, I appreciate that overtaking nine step-back 18-footers. Like it's There's been a legitimate change in process. I think there are still the frustrating things that happen with him, but the touch has come back to a certain degree from where it was last year. Um, he's making the right plays when things happen. It's not the same snappy stuff that you would like, but it's it's so much better than it was last year. And it is legitimately impactful stuff. Like he is good. Yeah. Um, he's been fantastic getting to the line, drawing fouls, being aggressive uh, in the paint. And I've, I mean, for what this team does, he's been essential to it. So I can't complain about him. Yeah. The defense no, I, I can't agree. complain about, but the offense has been, has been good. Look, the, <laughs> We, you know, you mentioned Mitchell Robinson's rim protection and defense. Like, this team is miraculously 10th in defense right now, like on the back of Quentin Grimes and Mitchell Robinson, and to an extent, Emmanuel quickly. Like, he's been really good defensively. Deuce McBride comes in and annoys the shit out of people for like 15 minutes a night. But, like, man, what Mitchell Robinson has done defensively this year in order just to like keep this thing together has been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, he's been really impressive. The it's been cool because uh I remember last year I was just so bummed when he did the the, the dirty bulk um and like absolutely shot his mobility. Um this year, I think he A he sheds some of that weight, but also he's just comfortable in his body again. Um like yeah. you can really tell like it took him some time to get accustomed to the weight gain. And it's paid dividends because he's stronger now. Like, he's much better holding up in the post than he used to be. Like, in that Milwaukee game, um, he was much better playing against Brooke Lopez than he has been in the past. He's much better playing against stout post players than he has been in the past. We haven't really seen any offensive growth, but I don't really care. Um, like, obviously, <laughs> it would be nice, but, like, we we kind of knew the thing with Mitch when he was coming out of Western Kentucky. Or can we even say coming out of Western Kentucky? Coming out of – Coming out of high school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh so like he exactly like he does what this team needs him to at an extremely high level. Um, and the defense has like, again, the rim protection is stellar and he has more of that mobility back. Um, yeah. Yep. I've, I've loved watching him play compared to, I mean, it's, again, like same thing, like we just talked about with Julius coming off of what last year was. Um, it's been really awesome to see this bounce back season from him. Yeah. Uh, I think the Knicks are, this is my hot take right now. I think Knicks are a playoff team. I think straight oh, up. Yeah. No, yeah, I think they're, no, they're not team. a play-in team. I think they are a playoff team. I think okay. they finish in the top six. Yeah, uh, with I'm trying to think. Miami has been better. Uh, better ish. I feel like every time I start to say that Miami's been better, they find a way to not be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I can get there. I, again, it's a lot's going to hinge on what does or doesn't happen at the trade deadline. Um, But yeah, I mean, this team is, they're, they're solid. Do you know what they are currently in net rating? Uh, 
they're I mean they're de- they're above top ten. Um, yeah, they're they're eighth in the league in net rating right now. Yeah, like they they're were... actually they they should have more wins than they do right now. Mm-hmm. This is a good team. Like I, I'm just straight up like in on the Knicks. Like I, I think they are good, which is not something I expected to say this year. But I was very wrong about that. Yeah. Okay. The Los Angeles Clippers now. Uh, the biggest. <laughs> what the fuck is going on with this team in the league for me? Cause yeah. I can't figure it out from a game to game perspective, what to expect. Uh, like they just lost what five games in a row, six games in a row. And they dropped games to the Pacers. They dropped a game to the Timberwolves. They dropped a game to the Hawks, like games that this team with how deep they are. I know that they have guys in and out of the lineup should not lose. Having said that, given that they have had so many guys in and out of the lineup this year, do you have any idea like what a good Clippers team looks like yet? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think this team is just uh, kind of difficult to watch at times. Like we know what the defense is. I think that that's something you can bank on. Um, like Paul George has legitimately been uh, – I, I wouldn't say lockstep – with OG Ananobi, but he's been right behind him as the best wing defender in basketball. He's been awesome this year. Um, but the offense just overall for this team is um, to say it's a slog would uh, almost not do it justice. Um, like they, it, it just, it's so frustrating because they go through stretches of it looking really good. They go through stretches of like, Oh, Hey, like, look, we just drove and kick, and the ball moved around four times to the open shooter. Awesome. Um, yeah. But so often it's just like, okay, we're going to kick the ball, and then somebody's going to hold it for two seconds, and then the advantage is going to die. Um, and, like, that's so routinely their offense. And I think what's hard, too, is, like, they have a lot of guys who are um, versatile defenders, but they're not versatile offensively. Like, I – Robert Covington just is, like – like this has not been a good Robert Covington season. Like I think he's had, he's had some stretches of late that have been better. Um, they just, there's a lot of guys who, again, like bring versatility, but I think their limitations can really stand out in the way that this team is designed and um, how they generally play. That makes it difficult to get the most out of everyone. Um, like this is a team that very much to me needs to parse down their rotation um, in some meaningful way. Like they're, playing 10, 11 guys every night. Um, and this, again, it's not that players are bad, but like that, I mean, it, I can hear Nikias Tuggins voice in my head saying they need more rim pressure. And it's true. Like they need more ways to impact the rim. I think getting a yeah. true backup center outside of Visha Zubash would help in some ways. Cause like part of the reason why is like, if they don't have any kind of roll gravity alongside their pick and roll game on the bench, like it just doesn't really do anything. Other than yeah. tough shot making, um, but where are you? That's at just like this? that's not that's not even it for me. Like they just don't have guards. Really, it feels like the pressure of the rim either. Like at least in a way that's threatening. Like teams don't really care if like if Reggie Jackson's taking possessions over Paul George when he's out there, or Kawhi Leonard when he's out there. Teams are happy. Teams are happy if he's taking possessions over Norman Powell. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. And Norman Powell, it feels like, is living a lot in the mid-range. And Luke Kennard is obviously not pressuring the rim at all. Like, 
it's hard. It, it's just really, really hard. And on top of it, they don't really get ball movement either. That's actually the thing that frustrates me most about them. Uh, they just don't get ball movement. And it feels like everything is always so stagnant. And this has been the thing with them for the last couple of years. Like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, even when they were healthy, like it felt like this team was a bit stagnant. Now, that's all the negative stuff. The positive is that, holy shit, Kawhi Leonard is back and his on-offs are absolutely bonkers. This team, when Kawhi Leonard is on the court, is a plus 7.8 with a 115 offensive rating and a 107 defensive rating. Like, in his last 11 games, he's averaging 23 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, and and 1.5 steals on 52-39-82 shooting splits. Like, the game he played against Dallas earlier this week, Luka had, like, 43-11-7 or something crazy. Kawhi completely dominated that game. Mm-hmm. Like, he got to whatever spot he wanted. He got to whatever place in the mid-range, and he just, like, absolutely old man gamed them, it felt like, where he was just backing them down, or he was catching and shooting from three, or he's going to drive, stop, use that deceleration step, pull up, and because he's so strong, just nobody can nobody can move him. Nobody can do anything about it. Like, he is so good, and he is getting back to the level that he was at. The, the problem with all of this is he's played 19 games, and I have no idea if he's going to play all of these games in the playoffs. Like, him and Paul George this year, when they're both on the court together, they're plus 8.6. They've only played 200 minutes together this year. Like, what do you do with that? Like, can, can you count on that? That's why they're the biggest question mark. I, I actually get why people think they're a legit contender because, again, the Paul George minutes say that they're a legit contender when he's out there with Kawhi Leonard. But at the same token, how much can you rely on that? They played 200 minutes together this year. That's it. Yeah, it makes it difficult uh, to analyze for sure. Because um, exactly like you mentioned, like Kawhi is awesome, but – and this is, again, it's not a knock at Kanai, but it's just Kawhi. But it's just talking about their their actual offensive process. Like, 14.5% of his shots come at the rim. Like, yeah, it's not that he can't create. Like, obviously, he creates for others. Like, the mid-post doubles that he draws are huge. Um, but, again, it's just overall, they have to rely so much on the tough shopping. I mean, it's the same story that's been the last couple of years, but it just feels even more so punctuated this year. Um, and it's been tough because – I think there have been moments where the John Wall signing has worked. Uh, for the most part, I'm not there. I don't think that he's been particularly good defensively. Um, the like He brings a ton as a playmaker, don't get me wrong, but it's just if they're not out and playing in transition with him, what are you getting? And they play slow pace. Like, they don't play very fast-paced basketball. Like They like to kind of grind yeah. things down. Um, so it's – like I, I, exactly like you're mentioning, like, I think the answer is getting – uh, gar- like a, this, this is a team for me. I'd love this team to manual quickly. Like, I don't well, he- here's a here's a, here's the answer that they've tried the last couple of games. They played Terrence Mann at point, and I think it actually has like process wise and structurally looked really good when he's mm-hmm. been at point because he is like I think in those games he's only averaging like two and a half assists per game, but he's just the consummate ball mover. He's so unselfish. He's exactly what they need 
out there to like be able to facilitate ball movement and keep the offense in flow so that they can get these open jumpers that they are so reliant upon. Uh, he's awesome. Like I, I am such an enormous fan of Terrence Mann. Yeah. I mean, he's someone I'd love to just see him continue to play more. Um, yeah. That would be very nice. Uh, I think that would be great for them. I I am curious if how much of that is just like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're tinkering with things and it's because some guys have been out, so we'll see how it goes. But um, so I'd like to see that continue because exactly like you're mentioning, it's, it's not even that they necessarily need like a quote unquote true point guard, but it's like, like you're hitting on with Terrence, same idea with quickly have somebody who can rip and run, get a deep paint touch early and then cool go from there. Like you don't even necessarily have to have somebody who's like straight up running spread, pick and roll all the time and getting to the yeah. bucket. Like, yeah, that'd be nice, but that's not what this team is built to do. Um, if you can just have somebody who can, you can empower to carry the ball and generate some kind of paint touch, like great. That's, that's good by me. So I mean, I am interested to like you mentioned, I want to keep seeing how they, they do stuff with Terrence man. Cause his role has been all over the place this year. And it's nice to see him get more run. Uh, I want to see that continue. Yeah, this team right now is 27th in offensive efficiency, despite the fact that they are top half in three-point attempts per game and ninth in three-point percentage. And like, you know, as Nikias eloquently puts it, like get a paint touch, like they're actually 12th in free throw rate even. And, you know, obviously a lot of those free throws, uh, you know, some of them are Evita Zubat's free throws, you know, some of them end up being, you know, like John Wall free throws where he's not a great free throw shooter in general. But for the most part, like if they're getting to the line and making threes and taking threes, you would expect this to be a top half offense. And it just isn't because I think they're easier. I think they're easier to guard than what their talent says they are. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. Because like if you can just be in the way and uh, force them to – well, not even force them, but just like lull them into being stagnant. If you get back in transition um, and yeah, I mean, all you have to do is stay in front and like, yes, one on the one hand, it's like, okay, well, PG and Kawhi are really good shot makers. They're going to shoot over the top of defenses, but exactly. Like, I think it's, you're able to play some of the, the numbers game with them, hope that you can make impacts defensively in other ways and you live with it. Um, yep. So it's, I want to see them do something to get more dynamic because again, it's the same story we've been talking about. Let's talk about the Hawks to finish up now. Um, I I don't know what to do with this team. This, this feels like the biggest, you know, what the fuck is going on in the Eastern conference to me, certainly Uh, over the course of their last, you know, let's go with 15 games. They are, I, I believe I'm trying to do math in my head really quickly. Uh, they're three games under 500 in that time. I know that uh, they were 13 and 10 at one point, and they are now three games under 500. So they're six games under 500 uh, in their last 19 games. And it feels like things aren't going well in terms of the way that DeJounte Murray and Trey Young are mixing, which mm-hmm. is something that I kind of talked about in the preseason in terms of having questions just about like Trey doesn't love to move off the ball. DeJounte likes to have the ball in his hands, but when he doesn't have it in his hands, he's something of a guy that teams will sag off of, although he has made 34% from three and has been willing to at least fire from three this year, which has been helpful. I don't totally know what to do with them because on top of it, 
it just feels like it's time for John Collins to be somewhere else. Uh, John Collins is a really good player. He's averaging 13 and eight right now, and he's just better than that. He's not shooting well from three. You expect more. You expect more from him, but also it's just like very, very difficult to really get anything from him. I guess with how much Trey Young and DeJounte Murray have the ball in their hands. Feels like they haven't found the mix yet for Collins. Um yeah, and then it, it just feels it feels tricky. Like DeAndre Hunter is okay. He's not like a dude. You know what I mean? He is a good on ball defender that doesn't quite make as much of an impact off the ball. AJ Griffin's been a really nice surprise, but AJ Griffin isn't ready to like, frankly, probably be a starting player in the NBA yet. He's just a little bit limited still as good as he's been this year for a rookie. Uh, he either needs to be the fifth guy out there or he needs to be uh, off the bench. And I, I don't know about you, but like when he's out there, like it feels like he's more dangerous than like DeAndre Hunter and Clint Capella. Like it, it almost feels well, like, it's, like he's like their third best option. <laughs> well, it's hard because he's like their one offensive outlet other than Clint, who really makes an impact. Um, and that's the other point, too. Like, this team is – and I, Clint has had a good season, but, like, this team is incredibly reliant on him being healthy because yeah. I think it's helped because uh, Onyek has been better recently, I think, but it's not been a great season for him. Part of it's yeah. been, like, I don't think that he's been uh, – like, he part of, like he still struggles playing full-time five, um, yeah. not just by virtue of size – um, his game doesn't fully mesh with Trey's yet, in my opinion. Um, I think Trey really benefits from having a lob threat. Not that he can't be a lob threat, but like Onyeka really thrives in that, you know, being able to hit his touch shots around the rim, being able to get into that like four to 10 range and be active roaming around the dunker spot. And um, so it just hasn't been qu- like, I mean, I think that it can come with time. I really believe in him still a ton moving forward and who he's going to be, but I think how small he is has really just – it continues to just – you feel it in watching him. Yeah, you do. Um, but, again, like I do think it's been better recently. But I think it's just you, you talk about a front court that has a lot of guys, but I just how they fit together is really awkward. Um, and exactly yeah. like you mentioned with Collins, like it's tough because like he hasn't shot the ball well. I believe in him to be a better shooter than he's been this year without question. I think it's just a slump. It's part of how he's been used in the offense. He doesn't get as, nearly as many touches as he has in prior years. It's been waning for a while. Well, he, he doesn't get as many ball screens either. Yeah. Part of the thing. Well, exactly. Like he's just in a weird spot. They're like, okay, be this off ball player who doesn't really get, doesn't get this in the same way that you used to. It, I mean, that hasn't worked. Um, and to, to, to be fair too, like defenses have treated him as a non-threat most of the time. Um, like it's, so it's just, it's a weird balance um, trying to figure out what their stuff is. Um, Cause I mean, like, I mean, like Bogdan's been back. That's been nice to see. I think that he's, he's brought some nice things, especially as a shot maker and being able to function in second side stuff. But again, like the offense is an inventive. It doesn't feel impactful most of the time. And sort of similarly to what we talked about with Portland, but in a different way, like their outlet guys just aren't there yet or aren't just aren't really there period in terms of what they need to, to really juice the offense. So um, it's, it's a lot of, it's it kind of reminds me of like a, like a really average brand of uh, instant coffee is kind of how I would describe the Hawks right now. 
So like Landry, like I've, I've talked to Landry Fields a couple times. Landry Fields, really, really smart guy. Landry Fields is also like a first time head of basketball operations who's going to have to make a really difficult decision here. And this is, this is a tricky roster to try and manage. And I'm really interested to see what this looks like here moving forward with fields. I think that uh, he could be like great at this potentially, but he's in a tough spot. And and this is, this is going to ultimately be like one of the more consequential consequential decisions of his tenure is how does he try to fix this front court mix? So I'll ask you maybe not specific players, but like, what do you think they need to do in order to fix the front court mix? Uh, it's a good question. What are the I'm, kind of players they need to target? Maybe is a better way to put it. I mean, well, they definitely need to trade John, like just do it because of what, what, with where this is at right now, it's just not tenable. Um, but like even like to me, they need movement shooting in a bad way, like a very yeah. bad way. That's what I look at in their front court. Like they need more dynamic. And I, I think part of that too, like I would, they don't run dynamic sets. Like they aren't very active in finding great ways to, to get their guys looks. Um, but I think you inherently by getting somebody who is a movement shooter, you add in looks like that. Like if you get Doug McDermott, like not even saying like that's the, like I'm not trading John Collins for Doug McDermott, but like, Point being, like getting a guy like that who you can bake into an offense and get more gravity without necessarily having the ball and trained just by having him trained just not in his hands. Like that's important. Um, and also just having well, he, more. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, here's the other complicated part about this, right? Like they traded a lot of their draft capital for DeJounte Murray. Yeah. Right. And they traded Kevin Herter, you know, for a pick. But if you're trading John Collins, are you trying to what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to fix the front court? Are you trying to get like multiple pick assets back? Cause like I, I sent you a trade last night that like, is kind of like off the wall and like crazy, I think. And like, I don't even know if I would do it for all of the teams involved, but it was like, basically like the Hawks get multiple first round picks, you know, take on the Yvonne Fournier contract, take a miracle flyer on Cam Reddish again in their case. And then like give the Rockets, Sean Collins, and then give the Knicks Eric Gordon or something like that, right? And I don't even know if I like that move for the Rockets. I don't even know if I like that move for Atlanta, frankly. But like, if they're trying to replenish the pick capital, it makes some sense in some way. But if they're trying to do something else where they're trying to like rebalance the roster and trying to find like a few different options, it becomes harder. The other problem for them is that it does not seem like ownership wants to pay the luxury tax there and you know it feels like they've said they will pay the luxury tax etc etc i don't feel like they're going to pay the luxury tax for a team that's 19 and 23 at the very least or 19 and 22 whatever they are they're like a million and a half away from the luxury tax right now i don't know if i want that either so i don't know if they're going to want that like i don't know if they're going to be able to take on money to be able to take to like get something for john collins that is valuable it's a really hard trade to make for them because they have to weigh what happens if Trey, if Trey Young asks out, I think that they're just like rebuilding on the fly on some level, building around DeJounte and Yeka Kongwu, AJ Griffin, et cetera, and getting a bunch of picks and young players back. If he doesn't ask out, 
and this continues to fail, like you have to really consider trying to cash in on DeJounte Murray again when he has one less year left on his contract. But like if it works somehow and you can make a move that evens out the roster a little bit more, maybe you can like try to make this fly a little bit better. It's a hard, it's a hard decision to make what you prioritize in a John Collins deal. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I think it's just a tough spot. Cause like you mentioned, I think uh, a lot gets lost in that. This is an ownership problem more so than a front office problem. Like if you just have cheap ass ownership, that, I mean, that really limits what you can do. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not Landry Fields. I'm not, uh, Travis Schlank, but I would imagine that things go down differently in the Kevin Herter trade if if they get the green light from uh, to actually be over the cap. Um, but it, I mean, exactly like you're mentioning, it's like okay, well, what is what is our direction? What are we trying to do with this? What are we trying to do moving forward? Because I, I mean, I got pushback on this from from Atlanta fans. If you make the move that you made for Dejounte Murray, like that is that's not not that it made them a title contender. But the idea is, okay, we're building into what this group is and trying to be better and being competitive. Okay, well, then continue taking steps alongside that. Like, I don't think you can just be where you're at right now and be cool with that. Like, there's there's got to be steps alongside this. Um, and it's, again, well, it's they, not- move, they move Kevin Herter then. Yeah. Like, trading for DeJounte Murray, then moving Kevin Herter are antithetical decisions to one another. Like, it, it does not make sense to do both of those things and it never made sense that was a wild decision that it feels like was based on money not based on you know kevin herter being not a fit anymore because what would be valuable to put next to Dejounte murray and trey young maybe a floor spacer who can knock down shots and make shots off of movement and actually create some offense that way what would be a way to accentuate kevin herter's game it would be to add a guy who can take on tougher defensive assignments and not force kevin herter to take on tough defensive assignments often what are we doing here is my point like it's incredible it's incredibly frustrating to me incredibly frustrating yeah no i agree um it's just a weird spot, and it's not even, like I I have liked some of the stuff that's come out of this team, um, but it just feels it, it feels muddled. And I think moving Collins is the first thing to kind of unraveling that. Um, but I just I don't know what the long term, and even or I should say just more short term. Like I don't know what what the rest of the season is supposed to be for them. Like this look so j- just in terms of salary cap matching, you're going to have to take on someone. Right. Like you're gonna have to take on players for John yeah. Collins. Right. Are you, how are you trying to even out the roster? Are you trying to slide DeAndre Hunter down to the four and pick up some wing players to even out the roster? Are you trying to pick up a better, like, mix at the four who's like more of a floor spacing four man, like almost like a Harrison Barnes, maybe, or something like that? Like, uh, what are you targeting? I guess would be my question. I think for me, uh, kind of like you just mentioned, I like with what this team is right now. And I think that they just need to lean into being a having some multiplicity on defense, not saying that they're going to be good on defense. Like I think obviously they've been better this year. They've had more signs, but I think to really juice the offense, like Deandre is just not a three on offense. Like a lot of that is how he sees the court. Um, He still pauses a lot with the ball in his hands. He's just better as a four. I think that you could, I actually like would argue like you're going to get a lot more out of him playing the four. like you can be a little bit more comfortable with him 
doing some of the it's not secondary creation, but like secondary scoring stuff. If he's able to take advantage of slower footed guys, potentially. And it, you, that only is going to come by having a three who is able to actually be guarded like a three. So to me, I, and exactly like, okay, well, who are you trading John Collins for that is going to bring that back to you? Um, and maybe like, and I'm not kind of like you hit on, I don't know that AJ Griffin is ready to be a starter, but in an, in essence, if you, if you like the idea is, like I want AJ Griffin and DeAndre Hunter to be the starting starting wing tandem, ideally next year. I think that's the that's the hope that you're able to develop into that, or you get somebody at four who is you're feeling good about that with. I, I the biggest thing, like DeAndre just being healthy this year, like woo, thumbs up. That's the first step, but um, like exactly like you're hitting on, I just don't think that it's tenable for him to continue being the three with what the offense is right now. <laughs> I don't know if these two teams want to make a move again because the last one uh, created a lot of friction within the basketball world. Atlanta and Dallas line up in a really interesting way, I think, though, with these two rosters. Dallas has all of these random shooters on the wing and at the four, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., Reggie Bullock. Like, you could make a case to try and get back Christian Wood. And can you imagine John Collins, you know, rim running for Luka Doncic? I mean, that would like, be sick. I would love to that's, see it. That, that'd that be phenomenal, I think, in a real tangible way. Um, if they decide, like, if they can't come to any sort of agreement with, like, Christian Wood, I, I wonder if trying to get Collins is, like, your long-term solution at the four. You know, just how they acquired Spencer Dinwiddie uh, at the deadline when they knew that, Jalen Brunson's contract was coming up and kind of got out ahead of it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they could do something like that. See, my my issue would be, I think, with all the issue, with all the difficulty that there's already been to fit in John Collins. And how are you fitting in Christian Wood? Like, not that they're the same player. But... Um, I'm not even saying that Dallas moves Christian Wood more than anything. Oh, I'm saying, oh, okay. like, I, I that. you know, maybe maybe you do something like Dorian Finney-Smith for John Collins, or like okay. Dorian Finney-Smith and some you know other stuff, obviously for John yeah. Collins, right? Um, it kind of evens out the roster a little bit more in Atlanta. Dallas gets its potential long-term pick and roll partner for Luca that doesn't probably require a crazy amount of assets to do, which still probably opens them up to another star trade down the road, uh, which I think is important for them because I think they can move four first round picks again after this season, assuming mm-hmm. the Knicks pick transfers. Um, th- that's an interesting one for me, I think. Yeah, that's not what I need to think more about. I just exactly like you mentioned. I just don't know who is making the trade for Collins, and that you get enough back that it's worthwhile. Um, like I know, I mean, stuff had been floated plenty about Collins for for Jay Crowder, and I just, I, what does that do for me? Like, I mean, on, on the one hand, like you like you mentioned, I think that that gives you the ability to to be a little bit more um, open things up. Uh, how they want to play offensively. Not like, I don't think Jay's better than, than John, like even close to that, but I, I don't know. Like maybe like, I know Washington has been reported and in being interested in John. A, I don't, I don't love the idea of the Collins Porzingis front court, um, but like, okay, are you getting Denny Avia or Rui Hachimura back or something? Like that doesn't really move me. Like, I think Denny's interesting. Like that could be interesting on the Hawks, but again, like, you still have some of the same issues like that. That's not necessarily helping what you're doing floor spacing wise. They don't want to be 
Like, I think for the most part, if you want to get the most out of somebody like Danny Avdia now, you do have to put the ball in his hands a little bit because otherwise yeah. he's not getting guarded. Um, it's just not a lot of great options right now, which means, of course, something random is going to pop up and it's going to look great. But here's another. What if, okay, think about this. What if they traded John Collins for P.J. Washington? Not saying that either team should do it, but, I mean, a little bit of just a swap. See, it, it, I mean, it seems like there's more traction, especially with P.J. being an impending free agent. Um, not that it's perfect or anything, but. So in money-wise, because P.J. is not making a crazy amount of money, what are you sending back? You probably have to send back Kelly Oubre in that case as well? I guess. Um, yeah. Doesn't really help their floor spacing, but I guess does kind of help their shot creation when one of Trey or DeJounte is off the court. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not like... I, I get what I'm you're going love, for. Yeah, but yeah exactly. It's yeah. Just, I don't know. Yeah, that's hard. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, okay, Mark, the Hawks are in a weird spot. I don't know if we came up with answers. They're just like a pure, what the fuck are they doing? Pretty team. much. Um, let's transition to that from that to what in the hell is this NBA draft in 2023? Because you wanted to talk about this um, after I released the mock draft today, after you released a mock draft today on your Patreon. Weird NBA draft. What is your take on this 2023 NBA draft? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have a ta- – well, what do you mean take? Like my overall takeaway from, from where it's – how it's shaping up or – Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. I think it's – it's it maybe interesting is the best way to put it. Like I feel like there are so many ways that it could go. Um, I feel like I almost have like less answers than I was hoping for the – at the beginning of the year, not that I think anybody has fallen through with like that, that part has been nice. Like, I don't think that there's been any player that has like just massively uh, disappointed is unfair because I think their expectations are set before. And I I don't think there's been anybody who has extremely underperformed to an extent. And we've had some guys who I think have outplayed. Well, okay. I mean, like there, there are like the has struggled, but I think he's looked better lately. Um, like they're, they're Derek lively. Yeah. Well, okay. Part of the, I wasn't a big lively guy before the season. Dylan Mitchell. Yeah. Well, Dylan, Dylan too. I was about what I expected. Like not to be unfair, but, um, yeah, I mean, they're okay. So there, there are guys who have, you, you get my point. It's not like when we go back, you know, two seasons and there are guys who are not even getting drafted that were projected in like the top five, top 10. So, Um, but this, this draft is really fun because there are a ton of like three fours who do stuff. Um, it's like a lot of guys who already have one or two tools and the next tool is the one that puts them into being like a legitimately very interesting player. Um, and I think that's what excites me greatly about this draft. Like obviously the top end is very exciting. I like the, this lottery is very fun, but the 15 to 25 guys is like, that that's the stuff that makes my head explode a little bit because I'm looking at like, again, like I'm thinking of all the guys who could be excited. Like, okay, what if Chris Murray's like, I don't think that he's going to be a lottery pick unless some stuff like really changes up, but like, okay, Chris Murray is a really interesting player. Like I envision like, what does he look like if he can go somewhere that really needs a four, like Taylor Hendricks, um, depending on where you're at with Gigi Jackson, I ended up having him just outside the lottery. I know if I remember correctly, you were close. I think you had him like, fr- like fringe of the lottery, like 16. 15, I think. 15, yeah. 16, yeah. Like Maxwell Lewis out of Pepperdine. Um, Leonard Miller out of OTE. Uh, not OTE, uh, GLI. 
um, Arthur Kaluma. Um, like there are just a ton of guys who like they can do things. And if you get a little bit more out of them, it moves me. So that's my, my really rangy way of talking about it. So I, I, where I'm frustrated with this class, I, I like, I like the top two, obviously I like the depth in the lottery. You can get a couple spots outside of the lottery and I think it's pretty good. I'm really struggling with the depth of this class. Mm-hmm. I would say. Um, I don't really love the depth of this class, to be honest. There are some like interesting upside swings that could happen if guys decide to declare. Like if Noah Clowney decides to declare early, that's someone worth doing some due diligence into. Interesting player. Julian Phillips. Like if Julian Phillips, like if you do due diligence into him and you feel like he might learn to shoot at some point, that's a really interesting player, right? Um, you know, this, that, and the other guy, right? But like I, I'm struggling to find, you know, even guys like at 20. Like I have Jordan Hawkins at 22. Like I, I don't know if Jordan Hawkins can dribble and like pass right now. Um, I, I have guys in the first round that I don't feel super great about as first round picks right now. Um, Marcus Sasser is like kind of an undersized guard. He had a great game last night. Finally. Uh, Leonard Miller is like 6'10 and big and has been productive, but doesn't really shoot it at this point. Like has the funky mechanics where like the offhand is way involved and it's like kind of coming like inside his body a little bit. And I don't know if I trust him to make it work that way. Uh, There's just a number of guys that like, I, I don't feel great about Terrence Shannon even being like a first round pick right now. And he's, you know, a six, six wing that just has never shot it consistently right? Good defensively, but what do you do with that if he can't shoot it consistently from NBA range? Like, if he can't be a 35% three-point shooter, what do you do? Um, I'm, I'm just really struggling with the depth right now, I would say. Like, I, I am desperately hoping that a big group of these freshman players really emerge and just become high, high-level prospects because – and this is something I've been talking about, about with scouts all year. Like, scouts have been – hunting like there was a reason earlier in this cycle i mentioned like scouts are reaching out to me constantly about donovan Klingon right now trying to get information on him it's why like i don't know if you saw there was a big like internet surge for grant nelson at north dakota state yeah who's like a interesting guy who is 611 and can put, can put the ball on the deck he's like a white kid that can really jump and like has real flexibility if you watch full games of north dakota state it does not look as good as the highlight reel guys. Like it just kind of doesn't in terms of like, he's you know averaging 16 and eight and he's really, really good in that league, but like projecting to the next level, there's still a lot to figure out there. I think like, I, I like Santi Aldama like quite a bit more than what I like from Grant Nelson at this point. So it's hard. Like it's, it's really hard. Teams are, teams are out there hunting right now to try and find depth picks and that's why like these late first round picks it wouldn't surprise me if teams at the deadline are pretty cavalier about moving them like if the pacers really wanted to go in potentially i wonder if they would look to move one of those picks like that that could be an interesting move for them given they have two of them and we don't know how valuable those picks are yet yeah maybe i'm too optimistic about what some of the back end guys can be like i i'm gonna write about him soon i'm writing about bryce hopkins tonight and finishing that up 
But I'm writing about Jordan Hawkins next because I like Jordan Hawkins a good bit more than you. Um, like I think we have him around. I, I have him at 22 to be clear. Yeah. Oh no. Like, I mean, in terms I, of like what, like <laughs> I, I, I have a lot more faith in the passing and stuff. Um, but like the shooting is just so nutty. Um, like yeah, Terrence it's Shannon, phenomenal. I think, Terrence Shan is tough because like I still think like the shot is better this year, which granted, you know, not necessarily a huge step up, but it, he had the slump in December. It's been better uh, since about Christmas time. Um, but, th- but this is who he's always been. He's no. always been this streaky. That's yeah, no, I know that he's always been streaky, but again, it's the volume. He's improved his release. It's it's gotten better. Um, and the driving has been even better, too. Like, he's doing stuff with his right hand now. He used to never drive with his right hand. Um, yeah. He's doing a lot more with that. I believe in the passing. Like, I don't think he's going to be a star, but, like, I think that he can be a spot starter in the NBA. Like, I think that there's a lot to like about him. Um, there are scouts who agree with you for what it's worth. Yeah. I, I will absolutely tell you that. I've talked to them. So. But I think yeah. like what's so interesting about this group is uh, – and part of why I struggled in actually getting a mock out, like I feel like when you – I mean, even in the lottery, and it, it is every year, but so many of these guys are going to be dependent on situation. Like I think Arthur Kaluma is really interesting if he goes to a place that is not a super high-flow offense, that is going to be able to give him reps like, okay, A, we're going to – similar to what the Pacers have done with Benedict Mather in this year, obviously not same sets and everything, but like we're going to give you these uh, find ways to get you, um, you know, dribble drive opportunities. We're going to find ways to get you these, like the, the mid post face up touches so you can jab step and go and get closer to the rim before and like kind of like uh not the, not the same idea, but sort of like what Auburn did with Jabari Smith last year. Like, okay, we're going to get you off a cross screen into this one. on Mark. What? No, I'm like I'm saying like Mark. obviously that's coming from Jesus <laughs> up. Like I'm not saying like that 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 you're, you're not doing that at the NBA level, all right? But my point is that, like, but we're comparing Arthur Kaluma to Jabari Smith. No, like I'm, I'm not. I'm not being comparison. Right I mean, in terms of like in terms of like what you're trying to do to get them to work on what they need to. Like, I think I really want to see. I, like I think that there's a framework there with Columbus that that is interesting, but my point is just more broadly speaking, I, I, in the yeah, wrong. I get situation, I get where you're going with that, it. Yeah, my point speaking is in the wrong situation. I think that that could really hurt him. Like yeah. I think he would really struggle in a place like Sacramento. Like I think a lot of people looking like, oh, this is a six seven wing. Like he could really thrive there. He's not a good defender right now. Even like on the ball, he can be okay, but I think he has a lot to learn as a defender, especially off the ball. And I think some of that might just never come, honestly. Um, on the ball, like like we talked about with Shane Sharp, like not same dude, but like same idea of he likes to really hold the ball. He likes to have a second. Like he, I, I, I don't know if part of it has just been he really wanted to emphasize drives this year or if he's just more comfortable driving than actually shooting off the catch because he, you know, he'll attack a closeout with a 10-foot advantage instead of taking the shot more often than not. And that's stuff that I don't don't think is going to fly at the same level in the NBA. Like again, if 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 a team is really bought into getting more out of him, I think that there's stuff to be interested about. But it has to be in the right setting. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, that's not at all to compare him to anybody. That's more just like in terms of talking about importance of environment. I think that's what stands out for me about this year's group. Um, like, yeah, I mean, even so, take a guy like Kyle Filipowski, who I still have a lot of interest in. Um, I, I, I do that, too. I think his defense has actually gotten underrated this yeah. year. Like he, he actually moves pretty well away from the rim. Yeah. And I think I look at him as uh, a, like you need to know what, how you feel about his shot. Like he's not shot well this year um, to, yeah. to be fair, but also too, like he's like, 
Uh, and it, it's the same idea of what I think about with Bryce Hopkins. Like those are guys that I don't think, like I think I believe in it a lot more with flip to be a guy who you can kind of have him create his own offense a little bit by just being off the ball and finding ways to attack and um, find pockets to, to make himself available. But like, I think again, like when you're talking about Bryce, when you're talking about a guy like Max Lewis, like I think those are guys you have to really factor in and be like, okay, we're going to draw stuff up for you. We're going to get you a, opportunities and like exactly like you're mentioning like okay if if that's not a lottery pick that's a lot harder to factor in like what are the other skills that are keeping you on the court to make us worth to make it worthwhile to be able to bake in usage for a guy um yeah like like you're trying to bake in usage for arthur kaluma like arthur kaluma is not gonna have the ball in his hands in the nba right yeah so what are his other skills he's not a great defender as you just mentioned flashes not a great not a great passer has flashes for sure and and here's the other thing too he's like six seven with a seven foot wingspan has a great frame you can absolutely see a world where he becomes a good defender i think he's worth a flyer from someone for sure Mm -hmm. it's just whether or not it's two-way or a guarantee contract for me right like but at the end of the day like he's not gonna have a ball in his hands early so what does he do when he doesn't have it or what does he do as like a ancillary piece not a great passer like consistently misses like the pass next in the chain pass in order to get an open shot, like a to go from a good shot to a great shot. Right. Or even like an average shot to a good shot. Right. So th- that's what I struggle with is just like how many of these guys have real like off ball skills. It's why I keep coming back to like Kevin McCuller at the end of the day. Jalen Clark too, man. Like I Jalen Clark. Love yep. Jalen Clark. I like Jalen Clark. Clark. Yeah. Both those guys are guys that I think will end up getting, maybe a little bit undervalued just by the idea of guys who could be upside swings. Yep. Um, and then they end up not again, not that they're going to be starters, but that they it, find themselves as rotation players. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And it's why I keep coming back to someone like Andre Jackson, like Andre Jackson's a really, really Andre Jackson. I struggle with it all. I, which is why he's the significant problem, but he's an elite level defender. He is a good passer playmaker. He's a great transition threat. Like, if the shooting ever comes, he's actually a tremendously valuable player, but I don't think he's ever going to shoot it. Is the See, I think my other problem with him too is like, he's not a very good ball handler. Like he's able to beat guys with, with speed and, and being bursty, yeah. but like he can really struggle okay. to to hit shots off the dribble just because his actual gathering is, is problematic. Like, I think like that's stuff that you could hopefully work on, but again, exactly what we're talking about. Like, I think there's like, even just in games, like he can already struggle right now to attack off the dribble. Um, if there's like any kind of contest. So it's just, it, yeah, there's, and that's not to be unfair. Like he is one of my favorite dudes to watch in college. Like, I think that there's reason to be excited about him as, as an NBA guy, but it, exactly like you're mentioning there's. Well, and then here's the last thing about this, right? So let, let's go back to the lottery, you know, potential top 20 range, right? We haven't seen a lot of these guys at their best yet. Yeah. Derek Whitehead, you know, missed a bunch of games to start the season We've talked about, I think, before, like, I think he still looks a little bit heavy. He doesn't quite have the explosiveness that what he had in high school. I would imagine that that'll come back at some point. He'll look like a bit of a different guy. I still don't know if it'll happen this year, like in college. So I don't know if we're going to get to see his best. Nick Smith has played like five or six games. And I don't know if we're like, it, I, maybe we'll see him again. Uh, this comes from no inside information. I'm not saying that like, we're not going to see Nick Smith again, but he's not playing right now. And I don't know what's going to happen with Nick Smith, right? Uh, Cam Whitmore is just now starting to come on in a high level, but for a while we didn't see the best of him. 
I don't know. Did you watch the Bob Miller experience last night? I haven't yet. Um, don't like just straight <laughs> up. It did well, not have, go yeah, well. I have not been uh, as tapped in with Florida State this year. I've seen a couple other games, but it's enough to to not want me to watch anymore. But I, I am yeah. going to watch them, of course. And then, like Derek Lively was not super impressive. We mentioned Dylan Mitchell at the top. Like a lot of these guys, it's hard. And then, like on top of it, now look at what's happening at Arkansas. Like if Nick Smith. Again, I have no inside information on Nick Smith. What's going to happen? I'm not saying one way or another if he's going to return. Um, but if he doesn't come back, then that team is going to just get zoned all the time. Like teams are just going to be like, okay, we're just going to collapse the paint because you guys don't have anybody that can shoot from three. And we're not going to see the best from Anthony Black the rest of the year because of it. Because no Trayvon Brazil to go out and space the floor to pick and pop at all. You know, in this scenario, no Nick Smith to, you know, be a threat from outside, to be someone teams have to pay attention to. Yeah, you know, it's like Jordan Walsh, the Mitchell twins, Jalen Graham, Kamani Johnson, you know, a bunch of guys that are just non-shooters. Devo Davis, like not a guy that he, people care about if he shoots threes, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not going to see the best out of Anthony Black the rest of the year. If Nick Smith doesn't come back, um, Kentucky is a mess right now. And Case and Wallace had back spasms in their last game. Who knows what's going on there? I, I, I'm just, I'm just, I guess I'm disappointed. Not in the players themselves. I'm disappointed in how this draft cycle has gone in terms of just, I feel like we haven't seen a lot of these guys perform at their best potential yet. And that's disappointing to me, I guess. Yeah. No, I think that's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, bu- this cycle bums me out, I guess is what I would say. Watching Wembenyama highlights is amazing. And like, it's almost like a drug where like, oh yeah, I have to get high off that Wembenyama, like to, in order to like make my sadness about the college basketball season go away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same with Scoot, right? Like you get to get to watch Scoot, like throw down on six guys when there are only five people out on a court at once. Like that's amazing. To yeah. Me. But in the, like watching a men Thompson and a sore Thompson, like the getting, getting away from college basketball has been nice, but this college basketball season has just been like, I don't know, man, it's been a bummer. Uh, yeah. I'm, it's been, it's I'm been struggling long. with it. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really like, I'm just being honest. Like I'm struggling with it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what can you do? Uh, okay, Mark, do you have anything you want to talk about before we go? I think that's honestly it on my end. Have you have you watched anything recently that you need to get off your chest? Uh, anything that I need to get off my chest? Um, I have not watched anything crazy recently. I've been like just so uh, just watching a lot of the classics. Like I watched Creed again the other day. Um, I am continuing to enjoy uh I, i've been watching modern family for the first time actually very enjoyable mm. show um yeah, it's nice but mainly just like i have stuff thrown on in the background because i've been working so um laura and i just started watching um the bear on fx how's that i mean it's like amazing <laughs> it's like it's a show for me Put it that way. Um, it's like a show in a kitchen with like a bunch of middle class people who are just trying to make ends meet. And it's the most hectic show I think I've seen on television in years. 
the editing style is frenetic. What's happening is just like chaos at all times. It is amazing. And I yeah. adore it. <laughs> well, I need to check it out because I have Hulu finally. So I actually can yeah. check it out. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, I will good. have I will have more movie takes next week. I've been I'm working on a feature right now, two features right now at the same time, which has been yeah. uh, it's been uh, I I enjoy the process, but uh, the process uh, is not always kind. <laughs> so we're working on it. Yeah, uh, Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at mg underscore Schindler. That's where I'm most active. Um, I always have my latest work pinned. Um, yeah, appreciate you for having me on, man. Mark's the best. Go follow him at MG Schindler, MG underscore Schindler. That is over on Twitter. Uh, I have a mock draft out. Go subscribe to that mock draft. Uh, what else do I have? Uh, Danny LaRue, Seth Partnow, and I are working on something for next week. I also am working on something with Kelly Eco for next week over Ooh. at The Athletic. I will have a mock draft podcast on Sunday with Adam Spinella. So I'm not invited. Join for that. You want to come and join on Sunday. (laughs) I'm joking. You know, we can figure that out, but we'll do that at some point in the future. We'll do like a three person mock draft pod. That'll be a little bit more fun, but that's all I've got until next time. We will talk soon. Bye.